Okay, I'm just uh, just going to take a few seconds to ask God how he, what he wants to do here. Because um, I had quite a long preach prepared. <laughs> and I just need to know what he wants to touch on. So, Father, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak. To speak words of wisdom, words of encouragement, words of upbuilding, but also words of exhortation, Lord. That we would be those who respond to what you are doing. Not spectators, but responders. Not fans, but followers. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. Okay, so um, I want to finish off this, this series called Radical. Um, and I might say some things this morning that are a bit strong. I just want, <laughs> I just want you to know that I kind of, um, we've been away on a, on, a, on a retreat this week, and I kind of wrestled with God about this yesterday morning. Uh, I went out early and kind of got in the presence of the Holy Spirit and wrestled with, with it. And uh, he gave me some specific pointers about stuff that he wanted me to say. So as he's given me some specific pointers, then, then I'll say them. Um, but I also want you to kind of get that we are entering a season in the UK and in the Western Church where we really need to uh, return to our first love where Jesus is right the centre. Because... Uh, the world is, is invaded and it's not just at the doors of the church, it's in the church. And that needs to change. And it can only change when it starts somewhere. So I'm sure God is laying this on the heart of other people, other preachers, uh, other churches. But, you know, I, I, I believe he's speaking it directly to us. So I'm going to try and, and give you... a. In a, in a sense, a summary of where we've been, but also to bring it all together for this series. Okay, so if, it, if you're a Passion Church and this is your first Sunday, uh, don't worry because uh, you don't actually need any prior knowledge. So the, the, the title of this talk is Being Radical Like Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate radical, isn't he? He changed the world. And... Uh, you know, when we talked earlier about living a life that counts, we want to be people who make a difference. We want to be people that live in that gap between birth and going to be with Jesus and it making, make, making something of significance, something where we've affected other lives, where we've brought change. And Jesus, his method for doing that was that Jesus made disciples. And he, the way he made disciples, because you see, di disciples don't happen by accident. Church attenders happen by accident, but disciples don't happen by accident. They're intentional. And they're not just intentional on the part of the church that's trying to raise disciples. They're intentional on the part of the one who wants to be discipled. And the point of being disciples is start to look like Jesus, not to start to look like your pastor or to this guy you've seen on the internet, or this, this, this amazing person that you've heard about their ministry. The point is to look like Jesus. Not like a man, but like the God-man, Jesus. Because that's why we've got the Holy Spirit in us. So what Jesus did is he did two things. The first thing he taught his disciples 
was how to do the works of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom works. This is what it looks like. This is, this, this is the result you'll get if you do this. And we talked a lot about that before Christmas. So what he was saying is, I want you to move in the ways of the kingdom like I moved. And I want you to do it on a bigger scale. And you're going to see some things that even I didn't see. Because I've had a limited time here. And, and that's, his, that's his exaltation to the church. And then the second thing he said is, I want to emphasize to you that you could go after all sorts of things as believers, but the greatest treasure on earth is to come after me. Because I'm the treasure at the center of the universe. And I desire relationship with you. So he's, he's teaching his disciples these two things. And, and he shared some of his heart about how that worked for him. How that worked for him in his relationship with his father. And everything he did was based on this relationship he had with his father and obedience to what the father showed him. Now, when you, you come up with that word obedience, immediately, uh, if you come from a kind of a legalistic or uh, religious church background, you go, oh, you know, we've got rules. We've got rules. Here's, here's the difference. We, we have a covenant, strangely, that we, is without rules because it's a covenant of relationship. So our obedience works differently. Our obedience, uh, let's, let's just have a look at this verse from Romans chapter 7. And this is from the Amplified because it, it brings it out a bit more. But now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it. Rules have gone. Having died to what once restrained and held us captive. That's what the law was there for, to restrain sin. So now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but under obedience to the promptings of the spirit in newness of life. So obedience has changed. And in that sense, this is actually a bigger requirement that, that Jesus is asking for us. He's not asking for us to do law plus. What he's asking is he's a complete change of uh, concept where everything we do comes out of relationship with the Father, with him and with the Holy Spirit. And we are obedient to the, what we see and they ask of us in that relationship. And so we... we We're going after the heart of God. And when we find the heart of God, what we want to do is carry that heart of God so it makes a difference in other people's lives. Do you you understand that? And Jesus said this. He said, uh, he basically said, I'm not doing anything that I haven't already seen the Father do. And I'm not saying anything to you that I haven't already seen the Father say, heard the Father say. And of myself, I'm not doing anything. But I'm just doing what I hear. So he says this in John 5.30, and I'm, I'm, I'm speeding up here, so I'm going through the middle of it. Even as I hear, I judge. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment is right, just and righteous, because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. Now, that's Jesus talking, and he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm God in human form, walking the earth, and I am not doing anything from my own will. I'm doing what I hear the Father say to me. 
And therefore, when I have decisions to make, when I have life decisions to make, when I face the issues of life, when I face the problems of life, when I face all the stuff that the enemy throws at me, all the stuff that men throw at me, my decisions are true because I've been careful to hear what God said to me. So the basis of all the decisions about his life that Jesus made were what the Father showed him. And I find that incredible. Now, here's what's more incredible. This is, this is, I just get so excited about this because Jesus then turns around to the disciples and said, up to now, I've called you guys servants. But now I'm changing the basis of our relationship. And I'm going to call you friends. Now, what does that mean? Well, basically, when, you, when you're a servant, you follow orders. But you don't know what the plan is. You just do as you're told. And God is saying, no, Jesus is saying, now, now the basis, guys, of your relationship with me and the way this is all going to pan out for you to live this radical life that you've seen in me you're not only going to take orders like you have been up to now, but you're going to be let into my heart and you're going to know the plans. You're going to know what we're going after. You're going to understand and see the big picture because you're my friends. And I share my heart with my friends. I don't share my heart with servants. So everyone here in this room, if you're a born again believer, you're now in that category of friends and Jesus' intention is to share his heart with you, share his plans with you, share his thoughts with you, and share with you the excitement of seeing them come to pass. That's, that's what this is about. And Jesus goes on, and, and basically what he says is that the way this is going to work for you, and I'll pace it because the disciples didn't understand him at the time, but we can now understand him. He said, the way this is going to work for you is the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to show you the things that come from me. Just like I've just told you, I work with the Father and I do what I see the Father doing. I hear what the, I hear the Father saying. I take his wisdom so my judgment and my decisions are true. I've got a picture of the big plan. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do for you. So take away all the methods, take away all the formulas, all the ideas we have of how to be effective for God. Jesus takes it down to one thing. Day by day, you need relationship with me. That's it. That's Christianity. Anything more than that is man's methods. I want you to understand that because that has radical implications for the way we run our lives. And it's just massive because... If you look around you, so let's take faith life as an example. I know, I know we, we all love faith life and we believe it's different and all that sort of stuff. But look around you. We, we, in many ways, we look like any other church. The only difference is we're here and other people are in other churches. And they might talk about different things and that sort of stuff. But we're all trying to do stuff in this way. And we, 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 we've got an understanding of this is how church works. This is an understanding of how Christianity works. And I'm not trying to take away from church meetings because they're, 
they, they, they're, they're so important. Like, I, I think one of the problems we have these days is people have not understood the importance of being together as a church family and coming to church regularly on a Sunday. And we think it's okay to come one week in three because we've had a bad week or a busy week or a tiring week. Or there's a trampoline class or a swimming class or a football game on. Or Man United are playing on the TV or whatever. And we think it's okay. And it is okay because we're under grace. But it, we have to say it has an effect. It has an effect on us. Slowly we start to drift away. And, we, and then people will say to me, well, I don't feel connected. Well, you haven't been. How do you want to be connected? So connect. And so Jesus is saying, well, the way you connect to the plans of the Father and the way you connect to what I'm doing in the world is this relationship. So what, what that means is we concentrate a lot less on organization and management and a lot more on hearing God. And, and, and understanding the flow of the Spirit. So I think it's kind of, I don't think it's any coincidence that the Holy Spirit decided to do what he did this morning. You know, he's, he's in charge of this. I'm kind of going like, that, that is amazing, Holy Spirit. You gave me this message, and now look, you're demonstrating it. Because, you know, I don't want to be the sort of pastor that turns around and talks about things, but doesn't demonstrate and we don't have a demonstration of the kingdom. And, and you guys, you come to church and you don't encounter God. And we don't see any of the things we talk about. That's, that's rubbish, isn't it? Yeah. We, can all, we could all find somewhere else to go for that to happen. But I, I'm hungry. I want to see God. I want to meet with God. And so what's the two fundamentals of living that sort of lifestyle? What's the two fundamentals of this radical lifestyle? Of, of living in that way. Because this is Christianity to live in that way. It's the fact that we don't live in that way, that the enemy has battered down the doors of the church, taken over the world and come in here. So we need to start living this way. So what, what are the fundamentals? There's two fundamentals and here they are. Here's the first one. If, if this is about hearing God's voice through his word and through the Holy Spirit and doing what he gives us to do, saying what he gives us to say, then the first thing that we have to do is commit to believe that we'll, sorry, commit to believe what we hear. Believe it. So many of us go, oh, that's interesting. Honestly, if your Christianity is at the level of interesting, you've missed it. Interesting is nothing. Exciting, world-changing, full of power, that's it. Yeah. But interesting, don't. You can go to lectures at university that are interesting and they won't change anything. So we commit to believe what we hear. The second thing we do is we commit to obey what we've heard. Not just believe it, but obey it, do it. You see, the gospel is not intended to be about reflection, mere reflection. Reflection's important, but the gospel isn't intended to be about mere reflection, nor is it intended to prompt you to more study or, um, you know, more thinking or more research. That's not the primary intent of the gospel. 
But we've moved that kind of onto center stage in the church world. And it's not the primary intent of the gospel. The primary intent of the gospel of Christ, the radical gospel of Christ, is to get a response from you. That's it. To get a response from you and from others who don't know Christ yet. That's what it's about. That's, that's so much better than study and reflection. What I'm saying is this, we need to move from talking about church and talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus to responding in faith and obedience to what he's shown us to do. And they're two different things. Do you understand what I'm saying? One is religion, one is radical Christianity. So you're still with me? Now, here's my second thing really I want to come, come to. When we misunderstand relationship, what Jesus is saying about relationship, or when we miss that element from our Christianity, so when we move relationships from this relationship with Jesus and hearing his voice and knowing his will and getting close to his heart, when we move that off-center stage, it's not a neutral event because something comes in to fill the gap. We've moved it off. And you see that different from generation to generation. So I'm going to take a big plumb line now and go, well, what did we replace that with in the church? What did we, sh what did we get when we shifted that gospel of relationship and hearing God's voice off center stage? And so I, I, went, to, I went to the Holy Spirit and said, well, what do you want me to say? And he said, I want you to say this. They might not agree with you, but this is what I want you to say. I want you to say that when we miss relationship, you are left with self-help. When you miss relationship, you're left with self-help. And this, this wasn't me, but it, it, this is the question he said. Have we subtly replaced the idea with rela of relationship with me with the idea in church of getting what we need. And I believe, yes, we have. So well done, Rosie. <laughs> you see, when we move that desire to hear God's voice, believe it and obey it and respond off center stage, we move us center stage. Because Jesus is over there. And look, now you can see me. And the problem with seeing me is in that vacuum, we, we prioritize not obedience to the voice of God, not obedience to the gospel. We prioritize obedience to get me things. If I do this and I follow this formula and I shout louder or pray longer or whatever, then God will meet my need. So now you've got to listen really carefully to this because we have a covenant of blessing. And that's free and that's an inheritance. But the covenant of blessing is designed to point us to the blesser. So we find the blesser. The covenant of blessing is not an end in itself for us to get where the blesser's off central stage. Jesus is the center of the universe, not us. And when we make... When we make our preaches and our 
Our church is all about me getting this, me getting this answer, me getting this, making my life good, making my life great, making my life fantastic. What happens when your life is not great, not fantastic, not good? We go, I just can't connect with God. Well, it's no wonder because he's way over there. Because we made the gospel about us and it was never about us. It was always about him. Self-help is not the gospel. we got this world of, you know, if you go into any bookshop, you, you've got this world and, it, and it's like self-improvement. Make yourself better. Self-help. And, and we've, here's what we've got. Here's what we've specialized in. We specialized in motivational speeches for the unmotivated. And here's what else we've done. We've specialized in can-do TED Talks for those who really don't want to do anything. So we feel we've got to move them. Our words are not meant to move people. Encountering Christ is what moves people. You cannot reduce Christ to a TED talk, a self-help talk, a motivational talk, because that's not what he's about. If he was about that, he'd have kept the crowds and not gone up the hill to pray. He was about relationship with the Father and doing what the Father showed him. And that's where he's the center and it's for his glory. So the challenge to us is this. To, the, this radical life of Christianity begins at the end of us. The end of ourselves. And the more we make church about ourselves, the more we move away from the gospel of radical Christianity. Because it's about him. So we begin at the end of ourselves. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus caused blind to see, lame to walk, set people free of demons, healed the sick, raised the dead, And he turned hardened hearts to God. Here's the thing. The power of Jesus has not changed in any way whatsoever. Except he's now made it available to us. The question for us is whether we are going to do our lives and do our church trusting in the power of God or trusting on our self-help. And self-improvement and organizational management and organizational motivation. That's the big question. And I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for me. I can't even answer it for Cheryl. Cheryl can probably answer it for me because I do what she tells me. <laughs> so, But the challenge is this, to live in such a way that we are radically dependent on and desperate for the power that only God provides. The gospel was always about power. It was always meant to be achieved by power, whether that's power in the preaching, because the Holy Spirit anoints the word, whether it's power in the healing, whether it's power in the deliverance, whether it's power in the conviction, it's always been about power. But sadly, there are other ways you can do church and do your Christian life. And most of us adopt 
to some extent those ways. And this isn't meant to like, be critical of anybody. It's true of all of us. We all adopt different ways. Are you still with me? Okay, good. Have I upset anybody yet? Oh. <laughs> okay, so I came across this concept. The concept's called the American dream, but the minute I call it American, we could sideline it, couldn't we? But you've all heard this idea of the American dream. All right, let's, say, let's make it British and let's call it the modern dream. And the modern dream is this. We can do anything we set our minds to accomplish. If you, if you just thought you could do it, then you can do it. It's only because you're not thinking positively that you haven't achieved everything you ever wanted to achieve. You can climb any ladder. You can attain any prize. You can be at the top of any organization. You can make any amount of money you like. What is wrong with that picture? Because it's not just a picture that we have in the world. It's a picture that people also talk about in the church. Just believe and everything will turn out amazing. What's, what's wrong with the picture? Well, there's two lies in that picture. And because... Because we've had a long morning, I've got to tell you what they are instead of waiting here for you to tell me. Okay. The first lie is this. That, well, the first thing, and, and these aren't original. So I, I nicked this bit because it impacted me. I heard a, a guy called David Platt talking about this, and it really effect, hit me. And he said this. There's two problems with that picture. The first one is this. It has a dangerous assumption behind it. And that dangerous assumption is that our greatest asset is our own ability. You see, this modern dream prizes what you can accomplish. The gospel asks us to die to ourselves and believe God and trust in his ability and his power and what he can accomplish. And, and I think that's a dangerous assumption that creeps up on us unawares. So that we end up doing most things by our idea and our ability. Not because not we've got a bad heart, just we've taken a default position. And when we, when we go further and further down that road, the power gets more and more marginalized and disappears because we're not operating in it. So we haven't done anything because we're bad. We've, done every, we've actually done it because we wanted to do good. But we've made a dangerous assumption that it's our ability that matters in this. And it's not our ability at all. It's Jesus' ability and Jesus' authority and Jesus' power. So that's the first thing. The second thing David Platt says is with that assumption comes a false goal. And the false goal is this. As long as we achieve our desires, we will attribute it for our glory. And others will recognize us for what we have achieved. If the goal of ministry or your Christianity is to be recognized for your achievement, you've substituted a false goal. Let me, let me put it this way. Because... Something has been hammering away in my spirit for a long time now. And I don't want this to come across that I'm like 
Mr. Angry. Okay? But I just think in the Western church, we have lost the plot. I really do. Why do I think we've lost the plot? Because we delude ourselves that individual church growth amounts to kingdom growth when the reality is the kingdom is shrinking in numbers. We delude ourselves that it's a great thing to attract people to our church when all the churches are emptying. And we think we're doing great. But more than that, technology has allowed us to involve ourselves in a concept of Christianity that takes away Jesus from center stage. You see, I see lots of superstar Christians out there. There's a lot of rock star worship leaders. And there's a lot of cerebral theologians. And they're all out there. And here's what I fail to see. I fail to see the power of God. I fail to see it in any way whatsoever. I hear great speakers, great explainers, great musicians, but I fail to see the power of God. I fail to see the power of God in America. I fail to see it in the UK. You know, we have a few little few people who get healed and we get healed regularly. You know, we see regular healings in this church. You put them on Facebook and it's like you're the only church that's seeing this. Why is that? You know, we've got these, these people that we follow. and we pay, Honestly, we pay to go to meetings and we pay large amounts of money. You go to a conference and by the time you've paid for your food in your hotel and your ticket and you're putting the offering, you're five or six hundred quid out. Why did you go? Because you went because there was a speaker there. I'm not interested in meeting speakers. I want to meet Jesus. Yeah. And here's, here's the thing. You know, I see beautiful stages, bright lights, big book sales, and I still see no power. Yeah. I see subscription services that you can subscribe to. I see people come to me every week and go, did you hear what so-and-so said? And they send me videos of what so-and-so said and somebody else has said, and it's all the favorite preachers. I'm not interested. I want to hear the voice of Jesus. Yes. I don't want to hear my voice. I want to hear the voice of Jesus because yes. it's all about him. I'm not interested in superstar Christians. I want to see the power of God in this nation. And until I see that, my objective is to get with God. Because if I'm not seeing anybody demonstrate that power, I need to God go to God to find out where it is. I'm not going to find it from that person on the internet or on YouTube who's telling me all these things that he isn't getting to work for him. I want to go to God because he knows how it works. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the hard bit the Holy Spirit told me. Now I've got that out of it. I'm okay. (sighs) So so I I was all like bothered about that. And then I was... This same talk I was listening to by David Platt, he, he came out and he said this, and, I, and I'm going like, I was really convicted by the Holy Spirit on this, this when, it, when I read, heard this, and he said this, I have become part of a system that has created a whole host of methods, plans, and strategies for doing church that requires little, if any, power from God. I am concerned that all of us, This is him talking, not me. Pastors, leaders, 
and especially church members in our culture, have blindly embraced the modern dream mentality that emphasizes our ability, exalts our names, and promotes the way we do church. And I am so sad that that's where we've got to, because I think it is. I think it is. The bottom line is this, that in the age of technology, it does not require the power of God to draw a crowd. It doesn't. You just need a few elements. You need a, a charismatic speaker. And because you can't trust anybody else to do anything, when your church building gets a bit small for that charismatic speaker, you put him on a video screen in another building in another area because you can't trust anybody to do anything. And he's the only one. And, and he's charismatic. He's the one that draws the crowds. So let's better have him on a video screen than a human being ministering to you. And here's something else. You know, second thing we need. So we need a good performance. We need a good performance from the speaker. We need a good performance from the band, to be honest. You know, it's got to, it's got to be right. But more importantly, it's got to be on time. See, in this culture that we've created, it's really important that the band doesn't go off the plan. So we can't trust them to even play freeform. We've got to have click machines going in the background and somebody speaking into our ear that you've got 30 seconds left. Shut it down now. And I wouldn't... It's not that I'm being cynical. I'm not intending to be cynical because I'm trying to protect my heart. But I feel really challenged that God's asking us to live a bit more radically than that and rely more on the power of God than on the power of a click machine. And I ask, what is it that will cause Christians to pay more for a ticket, not forget the offering on top, but pay more for a ticket to go to a Christian conference than they would pay to go and see Coldplay who do it 10 times better? What, what's got in our mentality of the superstar? What, what are we trying to get at? Because somewhere in all we're trying to get at, I believe we're trying to get at Jesus and we're not quite getting there. You see, once you've, once you've got your good communicator and you've got your band, you now need a building to hold the crowds. So, and it needs to be an attractive building and it's got to have comfy chairs. As you can see, we didn't go for that. <laughs> I, do, I still believe these blue chairs were a prophetic sign from God <laughs> to get us out of our comfort zone. <laughs> there's, there's eight of the old ones in the back there and I look longingly at them every Sunday morning because <laughs> they had a bit of padding. Here's the thing. We can say these things and we can go, yeah, 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 because we're not, you know, it's not what we're aiming for. But we can get caught up in it. 
You see, that whole concept of modern church, they only build the buildings because we want them. They only have the comfy chairs because we want the comfy chairs. We're not going to go anywhere with no comfy chairs. They only want the great charismatic preacher because we pay to go. They have the big conferences because we pay to go. We sustain the system. We are sustaining the system and it's draining resource from the truth of it's the power of God that does this, not man's ability. And as long as we sustain the system, man, we will always default to man's ability and not the power of God. Sorry, I'm a preaching a bit strong. By the way, you don't have to come back next week. You do. <laughs> like you can make your own mind up on this. But I'm in for this. I'm in for this because, honestly, the other stuff's not working. It's just not working. Here's, here's the other one. You, you bring your kids. I, I love our kids' work. We have actually have really good kids' work. But there is a mentality that says, I'll bring my kids on a Sunday morning. Um, they don't really need to engage with anything. And then when it gets the important bit, when I'm going to nod off when Pastor Mark's speaking or whatever, kids go out and that's it. And... and and at 14, 15, they're going to come out as on-fire Christians. No. You see, great kids' work is not about entertainment. And there is a mass... The, the very age group that we have designed the attractional church for is the very age group that is deserting it in droves at the moment. So it doesn't work. You see... Neither does, I don't want to be negative about kids' work because I think our kids' work's great. It's not flashy, but it's great. And it's got some amazing people who, who work in it. Here's the thing. They aren't going to come down those stairs at the age of 15 and be on fire Christians just because of our kids' work. The primary responsibility for raising your kids as on fire Christians is you get on fire first and raise them. And talk to them about Jesus every day and make it the centre of your family because we can't sort out the fact that you went home rowed about church, rowed about Christianity, and that's what they see. We can't sort that out. The primary responsibility for raising your kids is you. But somehow, put all that together, the, the, the charismatic preacher, the worship band with the click machines, the building... The, the kids' work that everybody wants to go to because it gets the kids off their hands on a Sunday morning. What do you come out with? You come out with one simple message. Do not try this at home because you cannot reproduce it. Christianity is not something to try at home. Leave it to the professionals. And by the way, we'll just take another offering to pay those professionals because they need a new set of lights. We have come, can you see? And that's why I was bothered about what, when I was going to say this. We have created a Christianity that says, do not try this at home. Your job is to sit there, pay for it and clap when you're told to. That's not what Jesus set out to produce. It's just not. 
He set out to produce disciples who did the works of the kingdom, heard the voice of God, and did what they heard and said what they heard. We're millions of miles away from it, and I do not know what to do about it. You know, we, we, have a, we had a, a little retreat this week, and we were talking about this. Roger said, I've noticed recently you were looking a bit tired. And what makes me tired is not preaching, it's not writing sermons, it's not doing church. What makes me tired is not knowing what to do about what I can see. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I can only identify it and call it out. Because I don't think we know what to do because we've gone so far down supporting that system that we've raised a generation that thinks that is the only system. We've spent so long putting our hopes in this young generation who have come up and start a revival that now that they're leaving the church in droves, we don't know what to do. And perhaps it's the older generation that needed to start the revival 20 years ago that would have stopped that situation. And perhaps it's the older generation now that will rise up and start that revival. And then the young kids will get on fire because we're on fire. The parents are on fire. The grandparents are on fire. You see, when you've created that culture, you can make all sorts of mistakes. Here's some of the mistakes you make. You mistake the physical presence of bodies in a crowd for the existence of spiritual life in a community. You mistake atmosphere for presence. And the two are not the same. You mistake charisma for anointing. You, make, you mistake skillful presentation for revelation. They are nowhere near each other. And you mistake growing a church for doing the work of the kingdom. So I want to just finish with a different dream. As part of looking at this, I, I reread Acts. And I, and I looked at it and I thought, man, that is just nowhere near where we are. But guess what? Thousands of people were coming into the kingdom. And, and it had momentum and it grew. You know, you've got this little group of timid disciples left behind by, with, by Jesus waiting for God's power. Disciples who, who, apart from John, have all done a runner. And they're sat there waiting for God's power, thinking, man, we messed up for three years. Let's not mess the power bit up. And then, then the Holy Spirit comes. And, and these, these guys that the Holy Spirit falls on, even though they've been with Jesus for three years, they're people from the underclass. They're uneducated, some of them. They're common people, some of them. They don't have a lot of natural ability. And the really scary thing was that Christianity depended on that group of guys. In a room, waiting for the power of God. 
with the whole Roman Empire lined up against them, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, all the scribes, and all the people around them lined up against them. And they sat in a room waiting for the power. And it just, you know, it hit me over and over again. They're not plotting strategies. They're not coming up with a business plan. They're not out there raising finance. They join together in prayer saying, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? What's, what happens from here on in? Jesus said you were going to show us the things that came from him. Well, we're going to work on the idea, God, that you're actually showing him some things right now and try and find out what they are. We're going to dig into you in prayer. We're going to go after what you're saying. And we want to hear your voice. They are not putting any faith whatsoever in themselves. They're putting all their faith in God. Because they have nothing. But just because we've got something doesn't mean that that changes. We're still supposed to put all our faith in God. And then God sends his spirit and people start coming to Christ. I don't know if you've read Paul's sermon when, when the Holy Spirit falls. But it, it's kind of like a bit of a history survey. It's not very exciting. Yeah, Peter, sorry. Peter, well done, Roger. It's not, it's not I, I mean, like if I preached that sermon, we'd be over in five minutes and you'd go home and go like, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? I knew all that. And yet 3,000 people come to Christ. Why? Not because of Peter's sermon. Because the Holy Spirit took his words, convicted hearts, and they turned to Christ. He relied on the power of God, not on his own words. You know, they, they go out. They've got nothing. They, they've 3,000 people they're now looking at, and they go out. They go to, go to pray, and they come across this guy at the temple gates, and he's been a cripple for years. And he says, will you give me some money? Because I'm poor. I've got nothing. Here's what Peter and John say. We haven't got anything either. Silver and gold. Have we none? In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And it creates such a chaos that they end up getting hauled before the authorities. And they go back and they get together and they pray and more power comes and the building is shaking that they're in and they rise up with boldness and courage to do exactly what they've been told they can't do. And these are ordinary people. These are ordinary people that approached that, that, leper, uh, that cripple and said, silver and gold have I none. And now let me translate that for you. Silver and gold and buildings and video screens and great band and comfy chairs and masses of car parking and a coffee bar with uh, kids bouncy castles in it have I none but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus get up and walk and see your life changed yeah. you see and then you see that it, the power of God accelerate right through Acts once they got scattered it goes wild across Countries, across nations, across the whole of the Roman Empire and beyond. Down in, Thomas takes it down into India. It comes to England. It goes all over the place. 
with ordinary people who have nothing. Except the power of God. The power that anoints their words and does the acts. That's all it takes. See, the gospel makes much of Jesus and little of us. Jesus is looking for men and women who will hear his voice and do what he says. Jesus is about giving timid, common, unlearned people his power, and expecting the world to change. That's, that's his plan. It's a good plan. It works. It's not a stupid plan. It just sounds stupid to us. But it's a good plan because it works. And it always has worked when people have followed it. But here's the catch. It's for his glory. And that's where we get a problem. It's about seeing him. Him having all the glory. No superstars. No fan following. Jesus. So if this Christianity only works by the power of the Spirit, why are we not desperately hungry for God to move? Because that's the other thing I don't see. I look at the church and, and I don't see the hunger. I'm not talking to you guys now. I'm just, I don't. I don't see this hunger for the power of God to move. I don't know, again, why that is. But I don't see it. And I can't talk to the whole church because nobody watches me on YouTube. I must have the wrong aftershave or something. I don't know whether you need aftershave or whatever, but nobody, hardly anybody watches me. So I can't talk to them. But we need the power of God. You know, we can talk as much about God moving and God doing this in our land and God changing this and God changing that and God affected politics, and God affected this, and God affected that. But without the power, it won't happen. We've got to ask for the power. We've got to be hungry for it. It's not that anything's changed. It's not that that power isn't available to everybody. It is. But God only fills hungry vessels. Why is that? Why does God only fill hungry vessels? Because he resists the proud, those who think they can do it themselves. And he gives grace to the humble, those who know they can't do it themselves and will cry out for, to, to him to do it through them. The hunger creates the capacity for the spirit to move. Can we just stand? Can I have the worship team back? Okay, so I know that's a long service. 
But here's the thing. Why are we bothered, or why do people bother if the service is long? If God's moving, if God's speaking. See, we, we, we have to let somehow God take his church back. Because he wants it back. And we can't control things to the minute. And I think I know everybody here. So actually, I know you're not that bothered that it's overrun. Because you know you're after Jesus. But what we're seeing isn't yet enough, is it? There's not enough of the manifest power of God in our words and through our prayers. So I want us to, I want us to just start asking God for more. Joyce, can you come and lead the prayer on this? Olive, can you come as well? Yeah, Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we want to hear your voice. We have a desire to know you. Where we've, we've just like put all the mechanics in the way of getting to you. We want to pull all those mechanics out of the way now and just get to you. To rediscover that first love, that, that fire in our hearts. Lord, we want to empty ourselves so that you can fill us. Come, Holy Spirit, come fill us. We, we desire and hunger and pursue you. We pursue you. We're coming after you. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Everybody, just put your hands up. Not because it's mystical or anything, but just a way of saying, I want to receive. I want to receive. God, where I'm not hungry, make me hungry. Where I'm just sat there, God, stir me. Stir me up. Come, Holy Spirit. Just do what you will. Do your work in our hearts. We give you permission now. Not holding back. Come, Holy Spirit.